0: Welcome to The Homegirls, four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired in real life on YouTube and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter
1: at homegirlsco. Thanks for listening. We love you. Hi, everybody. We're the homegirls, and we are here today with the one and only Vicki Gumbelson from Orange County, California. Yep. She's the founder and creator of Kodo Insurance and Financial Services and Financial Wellness with Vicki, which is an educational platform that's aimed at helping people manage their finances and living incredible lives. Mm-hmm. She hosts two successful podcasts, Reality with Vicki and Whoop It Up with Vicki. Mm-hmm. whoop. <laughs> she's a mother. She's a grandmother. An entrepreneur. And an inspirational figure. And you may know her as the OG from the OC, from her 14 plus years as the original Real Housewife.
2: Welcome, Vicky. We are so Thank thrilled. You. Thank, Thank you for, for having me. Today. I just want to do one correction. I've um, sunsetted, we put up with Vicky podcast, and gone into the reality with Vicky. So a little bit more female based oriented and Steve was on my previous po- podcast and now it's just going to be myself and my guests. So everything else she said is exactly right. And I just want to say thank you women that are doing it all um, because we are role models, not only for our children and our families, but also for other eyes that are looking at us. And it's not always easy, like you said, but we're doing it. Um, and so I'm super happy to be part of this. We're super happy to have you. We
3: are so excited. Like, you have no idea how excited. (laughs) So let's kind of start at the beginning, if you don't mind, Vicki. You had touched on on your podcast that when you um, first started in the insurance world, you worked during the day, and then at night, you had two small children, and you were out grinding, trying to start your insurance business. So talk Mm -hmm. to me about what that was like as a single mom, your boundaries, and how you found your clients, and how you really
2: So that's a great question. so I'm 58 now. I found myself at 27 divorcing a man that was um, everything that I never wanted in a husband such as an alcoholic, um, a womanizer, uh, lazy he worked for my father's construction company and so I felt by divorcing him that I was going to be okay financially because I was able to you know the courts ordered me one of his four one of his four paychecks so I could you know payroll came you know, he endorsed that check over to me and I was able to get that money. I was entitled to $660 a month at that time. And that was in uh, the early nineties for two children. And that went all to daycare. So it was really difficult. Um, That lasted for about three months and then he quit my dad's company. So I found myself having a four and five-year-old that I couldn't um, put even afford to put in daycare. Plus Um, you know, trying to put a roof over my head. I had a little condo. I had just got a new leased car from my company, which I was working for my dad at the time in accounting. And then I would sell insurance at night. And so my parents, um, although they could help me financially, they chose not to. And they said, we'll be here to help babysit the children, but this is your choice. This is your doing. And, um, they were supportive of the divorce, but, and my, my mom and dad said, if you don't divorce him, the children will really be affected negatively. So I had their support in that regard, but I was 27 years old and it's clueless on what I was going to be when I grew up. So my girlfriend had showed me sold me a life insurance policy and um, on my soon-to-be ex-husband. And I asked her what she made and it was like about $500. And I said, gosh, she only wrote up some papers and you know, you made $500, I've got to work a week and a half or two weeks at my dad's construction company to make this. So I decided to enter in the insurance world. And I actually worked for my dad during the day. And then at night, I sold insurance. And back then we didn't have the internet. So what we did was we mailed out postcards, you know, if you're interested in insurance, check the box, and I might get one out of 10,000 returned. So that wasn't working. Um, So I decided to go to the white pages. And I literally started at the A's. My manager at the time said, you know what? This is your best form. You dial for dollars and you might get some clients, but probably not. So I started at the A's and I would just call companies, individuals, um, try to talk to the breadwinner. Um, I tried to call it Nikes. I knew that they'd be home from work. And I got one client. Um, you know, my first couple weeks in, and it was a really nice gentleman. He said his wife would kill him if she found out he was buying life insurance because they couldn't afford any extra bills. But come to find out he had three small kids, a mortgage, and if he died, um, you know, it would have greatly affected her. So, We did the paramed at his work. He was a plumber. We did everything kind of discreetly. I said, just keep my card handy. If something comes up and you guys can't afford your payments, we can always cancel, but I just got him a 500,000 20 year term. And it was about, I don't know, $40 a month. It was super cheap. Um, And again, this was in figure the early nineties. Okay, so over 20 years ago. And um, I got a call from the wife. And she's like, "Uh, I got your card in my husband's wallet. Can you tell me who you are? And I'm like, I'm not having an affair with him, you know? So, and at the end of the day, uh, he had just been killed two days prior in an automobile accident. And the police had given her his wallet and my name and number was in there as an insurance agent. She didn't know who I was. He thought she'd be mad that he did this. So I said, just hold tight, I'm on my way over. And I went over there and there was flowers and cards and cookies and tears and I gave her a hug and I said listen your husband didn't want you to know but I called him out of the blue out of the white pages he was receptive he bought a policy you're going to be fine financially you can be able to stay in your house so she got a $500,000 check um, within about eight days uh, tax-free so, in he paid one month's premium. Now that's a very rare situation, but that's what solidified me in the insurance business. It was like, God tapped on my brain and said, you have a purpose. You have a reason to wake up every morning and you've got to help families like this. So I kept back at the grind the next day and my story became that story for the last 30 years, because it, it is, it was life-changing for everybody. And, um, like I always say, they came in with stuff, cookies, cakes, you know, cards. I came in with a check and said, you're going to be able to raise your kids. You're going to be able to stay in your home and you're going to be okay financially. So we still keep in touch, ironically. And it's been you know, a long time. And she just couldn't believe that he would hide that from her. And she said, we couldn't afford $40 extra a month. And I said, well, could you imagine if he didn't? So it was right time at the right place. And so that's how I got really in the business, I was able to be the top agent in the first year because of that story. I was able to tell other families that story. And so stories sell, as you know, even with insurance, And real estate, no matter what you sell, it's a story behind it. You do what you do every day because you have stories of people saying, because of you, I was able to get my dream home or because of you, I was able to see the vision of a remodel because of you. So those stories are able to stay with you and I've got a slew of them. Um, But those stories are what kept me grounded and kept me successful. And then I was then able to mentor to other agents and that's how I met Annalisa. Um, and so the juggling of all the different careers I've had has been a lot. You know, I run a reality TV show that I started for 15, 14 years, and now I run uh, the Financial Fabulous of Vicki Facebook page, which we're growing. We're almost 6,000 members now. Um, written four books, um, and then I run my own personal practice, and then I have a wholesale practice as well. So I'm stressed out every moment of the day, uh, but I love. My stress because I get to choose it, just like you ladies get to choose your stress levels. Um, sometimes be careful what you wish for. My, my mom and dad used to sit me down and say, What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, I just want to be a housewife like mom. <laughs> be careful what you wish for, right? So um, I was able to be the businesswoman like my father and the housewife like my mother um, in real tense. I clean my own house, I do my own dishes, I do my own grocery shopping. I'm not a princess. Um, I'm born and raised in the Midwest, so we don't really know how to delegate. We want to do it all, which stresses people out and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I, I commend women that are able to try to do it all. It's not that we're going to do it, do it all correctly and do it all without, you know, falling sometimes. But if we can hold our head up high and know tomorrow's another day, we're going to have a bad day and have grace while we're doing it and be kind and nice and ethical. You're going to succeed because people want ethical people in insurance and in real estate and those are the people that are going to rise above and stand when everybody else is kind of switching jobs around because they're not successful so insurance is boring real estate's boring i'm good with boring i mean it's not like we're selling you know a big widget that you know is going to be sold once and done so insurance they're coming back for more and more options real estate you do a good job they're going to come back again So I think when we look at that, um, finance and women is very underserved. I focused a lot. um, I wrote a book called Let's Talk Money. It's focused on women and money and why we're handicapped and why we're underserved. And there's, I'm sure you guys have seen in Colorado, all the divorces that are happening in California, it's happening too. This pandemic has really caused havoc on a lot of relationships. Um, And so these women better be equipped to know what will happen if the ball drops on them. And if their husband dies, or if there's a divorce, if um, my mom always used to tell me, you're going to come in this world alone, and you're going to leave this world alone. So you better know what you're doing in between. And I think it gives me um, strength to know that I have not had an easy career, not had an easy life. I've been embezzled from, I've been lied to, I've been everything you can imagine has happened because i have an open kind heart i believe everybody has my best interest and you all know they always don't um i don't want to go into any relationship thinking somebody's going to hurt me but i get vulnerable and i get trustworthy and i have the same you know if you've watched the show you know my tears are real um, when my mom died on camera they set me up to tell me that while the cameras were on me i had no idea that I had talked to my mom that morning. She's perfectly fine. All that crap I went through with my ex-boyfriend, those were real um, situations that I got because I believed, you know, I believed in them. So I think that as women, I'm sure you all kind of to this, you've got to prepare for your future, assuming your partner will not be there. Now, is that a right assumption to live by? Probably not because, you know, my current partner says, you know, you're always, I, 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 I said, you know what? When you've been through a divorce, and then a remarriage, and then a divorce after 20 years, it has to be I, I have to take care of me. Um, Come on the bandwagon, but I'm not going to be ever blindsided like I have been with my last relationships, you know.
1: So my mom, I was raised by a, a strong single mother, my parents divorced when I was nine, and it was ugly. And my mom always raised my sister and I saying, you never put all of your eggs in a man's basket, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what you're talking about here. So one of the questions that we had for you is how do women protect themselves from bad situations, be it bad men, bad business partners, predatory Mm -hmm. people that want to take their nest egg? Uh, You know, what is it that that women can do to protect themselves?
2: Well, um, if they don't work, they better look for something to do if there's a divorce or something because again if we put all of our eggs in that one basket of that man let's let's assume we're talking women here it it doesn't matter it's not gender specific here so i don't want to exclude the men and the ladies either way you've got to be able to take care of yourself financially emotionally spiritually if something or somebody walked out tomorrow we have no guarantees so Shannon Bedore is a perfect example. You know, She never worked and she was, David had a huge successful business and why should she have to work? But then one day he decided he wanted to date somebody younger, 20 years younger and um, left her. And you know, thank God for her that she has the show but the show will end one day. And what's she gonna do to create a lifestyle or income? She's used to living large. So I use her just as a loose example but there's a plethora of women that have come to me and said, I took care of kids and that was your role. And I get it. That was your job. But what if something happens and that man dies tomorrow? What if he decides you're not the love of his life and he wants out, you better know what you're going to do tomorrow. And I think that just, we don't want to always look over our shoulder like something bad's going to happen, but you know, it's this divorce and you know, death is a hundred percent divorce is over 60% now. So one of those two things are gonna happen. Your spouse is gonna die on you if you can outlive them or he's gonna, you guys are gonna get divorced. And if we know those statistics are there then why wouldn't we insure ourselves against it, you know? Yeah.
1: So on that note, one of the questions that we had was do you think that women should have prenuptial agreements? So um, strong, highly successful, highly driven women that's not sexy and it's very unwomanly, very unemotional but do they need them?
2: Well, it depends who's the breadwinner. So if you ladies are the breadwinners and you're about to get married, you absolutely should do a prenup because nothing that you're bringing into that marriage should be half of theirs. That's my belief. Now, what if you don't work as the woman and the husband has the assets and he wants to do a prenup? I say, why not? It's not gender specific. He's bringing in assets that you never created with him. So why not? Uh, I'm a big believer, what's yours is yours, what's mine is mine, and what we create together is ours. So, you know, with the divorce rising the way it is, I believe that we need whoever's the breadwinner to protect themselves. Now, many women go, okay, I got a sugar daddy, and I'm going to get married, and my life is going to be perfect, and 10 years later, something happens, and the husband says, you know what, Um, I may or may not have to pay you anything, because I had you said that prenup before. They are going into this knowing that whatever came into that marriage is not theirs. What they acquired together typically is a 50-50 split. Now, with my divorce, when I divorced Don 10 years ago, we did not have a lot of assets. I did not get a prenup. My assets were acquired while we were married. So he was entitled to future earnings and alimony. And I tried to fight it, but the truth is that's the law if you acquire assets together you especially in the state of california it's a 50-50 split no fault divorce so i was really pissed off i'm like but i'm a girl why should i have to pay him alimony and when you sit in front of a judge and lawyer and say it's not gender specific whoever is the breadwinner has to pay up yes. so i was in a boy's world i got i had to pay up and i just had to suck it up buttercup that's the facts now if i had a post nup and said anything that was acquired after the marriage he's not entitled to that may have been contestable or may or may not but we didn't do a post-nup we never thought divorce was an option um so that's kind of the the theory on that it really depends um what it, your finances look like when you get married and while it's accumulating right so um if you go into it knowing it's half is half then that's fair if you acquire it together but pre I don't think it's fair to split that up.
1: And are all of these things under your purview with what you do? So do you help women come in and look at their entire lives and go, you probably need this, you Mm -hmm. you don't need this?
2: Our first appointments typically with my clients is just getting to know each other. Um, The way I typically attract clients now is I do a dinner seminar, but as we know due to COVID, um, I've not been able to do that. So, and I know you and I talked a little bit about maybe doing an opportunity in your area. Um, my forum, my best way is I get my PowerPoint up and my big slides and I give everybody a beautiful dinner while, um, first while I'm talking, they don't eat. And then afterwards I give them a beautiful dinner and commingle and walk around and, and discuss what I do. Um, and then I give them free consultations. Let's sit down let's figure out what you're doing. Where's your pain? If they don't have a pain and they think everything's good, then call me when something goes wrong most people are very private when it comes to exposing their pain. But when you're a woman dealing with a woman, I've had every pain happen to me that is unimaginable. So when you get down to that level of empathy or compassion as a woman, uh, people tend to take their guard down. They say, okay, this is my fear. My fear is my husband's gonna leave me one day. Okay, then what are you doing to protect that? Do you have life insurance on him? Leaving could be death. You know, I had a client that I just talked with yesterday. her husband 71 years old, she's 60. Crazy story. He was a retired fireman. They lived on a ranch in Canada and they burn their paper They're in, in a barrel so they live on a farm so they, he was outside she was making dinner all of a sudden she heard a kaboom. She looked outside. He was engulfed in flames from his head to his toes. He, the, There was some combustion that happened inside the barrel. Um, And he ended up being on life support for three weeks and died. And they have no affairs in order. They have no trust. Um, He's got two children. She has a child. She's never worked. No life insurance. Pension gone immediately. So if I would have met with her prior to this, that the financial burden would have never happened. She has to now sell her farm. She has zero income coming in. The pension was for him only. So those stories are real stories. It could be a freaky accident like that, or it could be a car accident. It could be a motorcycle. It could be COVID. It could be cancer. It could be anything. Um, So, you know, I would say bad things happen to good people. It's the truth. You know, they had a lovely marriage, great people, and just just don't know but yeah sitting down with them first and figuring out what they're doing you know do
1: that's that's a big deal like I can only speak for myself personally but you know I was telling Jess we were talking about you coming on the show and I was telling her the other day about when I was young in my early 20s and I was making more money than anyone in my sphere including my parents I knew I needed to do something and so I walked into my bank and said, do you have anyone that can help me with financial services? And they recommended somebody. And the guy was like Jordan Belfort, like super slick, you know, like, um, and he said, well, we're gonna take every penny in your entire bank account. We're gonna throw it all at super, super, super high risk stocks. And you need to know that you're gonna have to carry that portfolio for 20 to 30 years because it's going to fail miserably. But then one day you'll have this windfall. And I was terrified, but I was so afraid to say that to him, because I had no idea who he was or what his experience was. I think it does. It makes a huge difference for women, especially, I think, to talk to somebody who's been through the things that they're going through in their lives.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I definitely met that same person.
2: But you didn't finish your story. Did you give them all your money or did you walk out? I walked out. I Good didn't
1: for you. Yeah. Good for you. Out. Remember, we got
2: to follow our guts, ladies. If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. And our gut is our brain. We're connected from here down to our chakra, down to our gut. And I knew things were off when I was dating with Brooks, but the sex was so great. And he just loved me his a little southern gentleman. I was like, you know, but I knew my gut was telling me things are not adding up and I couldn't prove it. So, but our gut, your gut talked talk to you that day and said, Mm -mm. Right. Exactly. It's scary.
0: What would you say to a woman that's maybe thinking about making a life change, maybe like a divorce possibly that could affect her financially, but she's too scared to ask for help.
2: Well, if they're not willing to get help, they'll never get help until it's too late. So I think that first of all, they have to have trust. They have to have a referral. They have to know somebody I, you know, I would nationally worldwide um, recognized person. If I screw over one person, my entire career is shot. Now, Mr. Banker in the bank, if he screws over you, he goes home and screws over the next person and there's no repercussions other than he could get his license pulled, which is not ever a good thing. But most people don't follow through in filing claims. So all it takes is one bad decision that I make for a client. And not, my business is gone because social media is now our new wave of, of you know, interacting with people. So I think, first of all, you got to trust your gut. you got to get referrals. You've got to start talking. If you're planning on getting divorced, ladies, you've got to start the conversation with somebody because there's a lot of things you can do ahead of time to prepare. Um, we don't want to give attorneys too much money. I did mediation for four years. And then at the very end, Don decided he wanted to stick it to me. Um... To a level that we had not talked about. So, you know, when when you get to that level, then you have to go attorney route. Then it's super costly. Encourage you got married for a reason. You loved each other. Love each other on the way out doesn't mean you have to stay together for forever. But love each other on the way out, especially if there are children, it's gonna be a lot easier. Don't give attorneys money. These attorneys are getting rich off of everybody's and their emotions. Um, so I I just I'm a lover, not a fighter. But I I will stand up for what I have to. Um, but your question is, what, what do they do? They they got to open up the book. You got to start. Got to stop keeping it closed and pretend like it's all going to go away. One of you is going to make the move. And don't be blindsided and you know taken aback if there's if there's some money being hid or stolen or I don't know. It's just scary.
3: Definitely piggyback on what you were just talking about being such a public figure. How do you operate in a space where you continue to be authentically you? How do you continue to operate in a world where the outside noise doesn't hinder you from really helping your clients and offering advice? Because I would assume that people sometimes come to you simply because I want to be on a one-on-one call with Vicki. Yeah.
2: So I have a really good filter um, system. My staff is super good and Elise is super good. And um, it took a lot to get me here because I, I got referred to you guys, um, you gals. But I only know I'm born in the Midwest. I'm not a California girl. I have Midwestern values. My word is everything. If I tell you I'm going to be somewhere at three o'clock, I'm, if I tell you I'm going to be able to help you, I'll help you financially or with insurance. If I if I can't, I will be honest. But um, it, I think authenticity is everything. Our our integrity is everything. And if we don't have that, we got to get out of the business. Just got to get out of the business because I have a code of ethics I have to adhere to. Um, I have my licenses. If, if I do something wrong and somebody takes away my license, I'm done. And I can't be done. I've got my son coming in on up the reins, he's uh, handles my life insurance division and I got employees I have to pay every week. And, you know, I just huge rent in Orange County, California, huge mortgage. So I got a lot, I got a lot on my plate for a for a girl. And it doesn't matter if I'm a girl or a boy, I'm just saying I have a lot on my plate. Um, but authenticity is, that will shine through every single time, right?
3: Um. Do you work with people from all income brackets, or do you only offer products and services from someone above a certain income threshold?
2: Well, I, I never put a number on it, but if they're 20 years old and they're making 18 or $25,000 a year, I can't do much. I My perfect client is age 35 and higher who wants assistance, whether it's life insurance, health insurance, uh, income planning, 401k rollovers, combining 401ks, um, creating retirement plans. That's my sweet spot. That's where I shine and that's where I stand out. So also people that are looking to make savings and trying to figure out how do they get to that date of retirement. I'm 58 um, and I my fiance is 62, he's retired, a retired police officer. He doesn't have to work. You know, He's got that check coming in every single month. My goal is to get people to understand the beauty of annuities. Some people say, oh, annuities are bad. No, they're not. Uh, there are a pension that will give you a paycheck for the rest of your life. And even if that account gets to zero, you're still gonna get a paycheck. That's what a pension is. So self-employed people like yourselves, you don't have a pension. I don't have a pension. I've got to create a pension for myself so I can match up with what Steve's doing and so we can have a pension together and live a good life that's no stress. Mm-hmm. So what's
3: one thing for somebody who maybe isn't financially savvy at all that you would say
2: you need this? Well, I'm mean, gonna, it's broad, right? So I don't know how old how old this client is, but if you are depending upon your husband or spouse or significant other for your lifestyle, to pay your bills, to pay your car payments, to pay your mortgage insurance. That's number one. That's number one bottom line. Why? Because we're all going to die. When are we going to die? Nobody knows. So if we can say, I'm going to insure my partner's policy, typically I say 10 to 15 times their annual earnings. So if somebody's making 50,000 a year, they need a half a million to $750,000 of insurance that will cover them for income. Hey, just do the math, right? So if you have a $500,000 life insurance policy and you pay yourself 50,000 a year, that's over in 10 years, assuming no growth. So those are the things we first address is, first of all, who's a breadwinner? How much life insurance do you? Have? Then we look at how are you investing for your retirement, whether it's through life insurance, whether it's through 401k, IRAs, Roth IRAs, we all look at how you're investing making sure they're staying on budget. I'm a big budget freak. Um, spend way less than you make, you know, if you wish to tie the good, um, if you wish to save 20%, great. Um, you should only really be living on 60 to 70% of your income. So if you look at that and all you ladies are real estate, uh, professionals, you got to pay your taxes every time you get a commission check. Um, quarterlies I pay the day I get paid the IRS and state get paid I, I don't wait because it's not my money so if I get a check for ten thousand dollars you know four to five thousand dollars goes right off the top it's not my money I don't have to then worry about it coming up in a quarter mm-hmm. so I get taxes out of the way I then save 10 to 20 percent if I can the rest is bills and if I can stay in that guideline and rules I will never get off course. I will always have my taxes paid. I will always have my, my savings paid. And then I will live within my means. So you're really only living on 40 to 60% of what you take home when you look at those math numbers. The people that are living on 80 to 90% of what they take home, they're going to get that tax bill you know, going on. They're going to get caught with getting a bigger house because I got a big paycheck. I'm going to trade my car and get a bigger car, and I'm not going to save and I'm going to get behind on taxes and everything else. So, I'm a big believer in planning for the unplanned and making sure that you know nobody has to pay Uncle Sam any more money than he deserves.
1: So, I heard you say on your podcast that you still live in the same home that you did before the show, yeah, it's
2: 23 years. It's up for sale right now, but twenty three years, and my next home will I will pay cash for it, and I will whatever the equity I get out of this house, I will pay cash for it because I don't want a mortgage at this time in my life. I will live in a much smaller home, less desirable probably, less fancy, but I want to live within my means. My house in Puerto Vallarta is paid for. I just flipped a house in North Carolina, and I just want to live less. I want to live within my means. I don't want the stress anymore. I've had the big house. I've had, you know, two or three rentals. I don't enjoy rental property anymore. I've had a couple problems with some Airbnb guests that really have been really deterred me away and Airbnb really doesn't stand by it. So I'm not going to do any more rental property. I'm either going to have a vacation home like I do in Mexico, which is where I'm at right now. By the way, I'll show you my little my little screen. Um, so have
1: you always followed this philosophy? Because I do think that this unique. Is unique. There's a lot of those like yeah. crews out there who do not.
2: Um, this is where I really am. <laughs>
1: and don't practice what they preach, you know. So. Um, have you always lived by this philosophy
2: or were there some moments like where we were single momming it and there was mess? Oh God. Uh, when I was a single mom, I was putting in my ATM card in that machine, not knowing if I was going to get money out of it. I, my other girlfriend and I were were like, do you got any money? She's like, I got, I got 10 bucks. I'm like, okay, do you? I'm like, shit, I'm overdrawn. No, I was Peter panning, Pauling, whatever those words are. I was totally living beyond my means. I had a, condo, child support. I bought a Lexus when I couldn't afford it because I wanted to play the part of a successful insurance agent. Um, And then when I got remarried to Don, I was still living beyond my means. And I remember one mistake I made. We were starting to get a lot of equity in the house that we're currently in right now, and we had credit card debt. And I was buying leads and doing all this. And I said, listen, let's just take money equity out of the house. I need about 100 grand and i paid off all the credit cards and then what happened within the next year the credit cards were back up again and i looked at myself going what the hell did i just do so i sat down went down and i said listen we're gonna have one credit card because he was doing you know we were just caught in that moment of time raising kids and doing all um we have one credit card that has to be paid off every month which is american express and i love that and then i i promised him and myself we would never take a line of credit on the home again and I just did a HELOC for flipping houses and it's getting right paid back. So I don't live beyond my means. I don't do anything. I can't afford. Um, I sleep better and I'm a better advisor because I've lived the hard mistakes. You know, I've not done everything right, but I'm okay with that. Cause I think if you have a perfect life and you've never had any falls, how can you help people? You can't, you're going to, you're going to have the same, you know, Theory that everything is always rosy and there's never going to be a divorce. There's never going to be a death. There's never going to be anything wrong until you fall through that. And then you can really see that life doesn't always follow what we want. Right. Absolutely.
0: So you've been obviously wildly successful. Um, what drives you to continue in your success instead of just retiring and enjoying it?
2: Well, I'm only 58. What would I do? Right. What would I do? I mean, there's people down at the pool down there and I'm like, I have a podcast to do. I have another call to do after this. I've been on six client calls. Like I don't enjoy sitting by the pool every day. I can sit by the pool for an hour or two, but then I'm like, this is boring. You know, you can only read so many books and I only read insurance books, insurance journals, self-help books, marketing books. I don't read a novel. I don't watch TV. Um, To me, that's a waste of time. It's just me, but I, also know I'm best when I'm busy and I'm best when I'm successful. My enjoyment is being here in Mexico, being with my grandchildren and my children. That's that's it, you know, is is having in my relationship with Steve. I don't want to be um the person that just said, Oh, I've I've attained my wealth and now I'm gonna sit back and you know drink a tequila. And if, no, you gotta keep when you're an entrepreneur and a businesswoman, you gotta keep you that's your. Feed. That's what feeds me. That's my joy is constantly working, constantly being a better advisor, better person. Yeah.
0: I totally agree. It's, um, it's something that I think about retirement and I'm, I don't know what I would do with myself.
2: <laughs> uh, some of my people that I've known, they golf or they, you know, chase balls. Like why <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> golf and pick a ball? Like uh, that does not sound fun to me. So
1: (laughs) okay, I ask a hard one. Um, Okay, so we have talked a lot about this on our show here together as the four of us, because I think one of the common things that comes up that we don't talk a lot about in public is this idea of women being called emasculating by men. So this is something that we've all been called um, in our lives. And, and that, I mean, I, we've heard frequently and I think it's a stereotypical thing about strong women. So, um, do you find yourself to be emasculating, and how? You know, where do you
2: think that that comes from? Well, it comes from my personality. Don has told me that. Brooks told me that. Steve told me that. And I don't think it's attractive for a woman to look down upon a man, regardless of what his paycheck is. I don't. I don't like that about me. And I don't look at it as a paycheck issue. I look at it as like, move aside. I got this, you know, and that can be emasculating to a man. Like I can triple juggle or 500 things compared to their one. And I need to step back and go, they're a man. They want to feel important. They want to feel um respected and sometimes I'm guilty of that and that's not a good quality for a woman because we men still ha, you know have that theory that they're supposed to take care of us cool take care of us in the bedroom you know i'm going to work
1: yeah i mean yeah. I, I i kind of feel like it's not my fault that i'm successful and strong and driven right or smart um but i don't want to like I've tried stuffing it in the little box before to be, appear less big. And I think but
2: that's why they fell in love with you because you are strong and beautiful and a go-getter and you you can't expect somebody to change. Mm-mm. My Steve is the exact opposite from me. He is slow. He said he went off the detour and retired and I'm going on the fast lane. And I said, it's fine. I'll meet you at the detour. I'll meet you at the rest area. Like I, I'm, I'm good. Like I, But it is. It is intimidating for most men, unless they have big balls, right? Mm -hmm. That they can say, that's my girl and, you know, cheer us on. It's, It's hard. It's hard for them. Most men can't do it. No, they can't. No.
3: So what does it mean to you personally to help people become more financially independent?
2: Well, you know, the old saying, pay it forward. You know, if I can leave a mark on somebody's life, which I did to that lady, which I first talked to you about, pay it forward. My knowledge is people will listen to me. which They don't always do. Um, They (laughs) will have an enhanced life because of the decisions they make that I've told them to make. And at the end of the day, I can feed them as much information and knowledge, but unless they act on it, nothing will, nothing will happen. If they're stubborn and saying, I got this on my own, stock market's going to keep climbing. I'm good. There's going to be no decline. You know, in 2008, when that crash happened, and then the terrorist attack happened 2000, 2002, and the stock markets declined twice in one 10-year period, I always err on the side of caution and hope for the best, prepare for the worst. So when we do a good balanced portfolio, my clients will never lose Uh oh, Vicky, I think we lost you, loser.
3: Uh-oh. Okay, I thought it was me. Phew.
1: Okay, let's let's type Jess. Can you type something in the chat? Mm-hmm. Tell her we'll give her a couple minutes. We're sorry we lost her. Oh
2: no. Oh, oh. Come on. Oh. That, that was lovely. <laughs> so um, so anyway, um who knows what's gonna happen in our future, but if you prepare for it, you're gonna be okay. Hey. Right. So you have such beautiful
3: children and you have such a good head on your shoulders. Have you taught
2: this um, legacy of financial wellness to your children? Yes. I drill it into their heads. Um, I'm kind of a freak about it. Um, For instance, my daughter is moving from North Carolina and they're going back to Oklahoma because Ryan got a really great job and they can afford this really fancy house with a big pool in the backyard and all this stuff. And she just told me today they're going to go for a much lesser expensive home. They don't want any money stress. And she said, mom, we're good. And I "You sure, you don't need my help. Nope, we're good. We got this. And you know, my son has a million dollar home in Pacific beach in Southern California. He's renting it out Airbnb, and he's living in Hawaii right now. And he's trading Bitcoin and he's cryptocurrency. And he's one of my top insurance agents in life insurance. And he just said, mom, I'm living my life. You taught me to live my life. And I'm in Hawaii, I'll be here till May. Um, and so when I look at my two children who came from a father that never called them on their birthday, never was there for Christmas, never paid you know much more than two months of child support because I took it out of his paycheck, um, I had to be the mom and the dad. And even though I got remarried, Don was never their father. nor did he take that role on. But I had a very specific role on being a single parent. I didn't know how to do it. But I was really raised in an incredible home by my father and my mother. And hard work always pays off. Don't look for a handout. Be the best person you can be. Have integrity. You know, when you walk out of the room, make sure they're talking good, not bad. Because you know, I, I just think when you come from really g- your home, how you're raising your children right now, I can't even tell you how impact every day that you are with them. You're leaving them with a the mark of something, whether it's inspiration, whether it's, you know, I came from a screaming home. My mother screamed every single day. She was a screamer. There was five kids and she just screamed. Um, and so I did at times and I would catch myself like I cannot be a screamer but then I thought, okay, what did they teach me? Which stay calm, stay in control, teach ethics and morals and tithing and church. And my kids never could have a sleepover at anybody else's house. It was one person at my house only every now and then. Um, I just was really a strict mom. And I think that helped me to raise really quality people. My kids are quality people. How did you deal with the guilt
1: of trying to do it all, whether it was self-imposed or imposed from society on you, the guilt of being a mom, being a wife, being a business owner, and not being present fully at anything at the same time?
2: Well, I didn't have guilt. I had pride for how much I was able to handle. And there's no guilt for me because I chose my choices. You know, when you look at a plate and you got the divisions of all the different things that you all do, you're working, you're cooking, you're taking care of your finances in your home, you're taking care of your children. I looked at life as a plate and when one of my plates was handicapped or void, I needed to fill it back up. And so I visually see my life as a plate and what am I not giving enough attention to? And therefore that's going to be the area that I have to focus better on. Um, so I never really felt guilty. I felt like, you know what, Lord, I, he gave me a task to do and I gotta do it, so. Are you aware of the impact that you have
0: on female entrepreneurs um, like myself? Um, like, I've, I've been a realtor for 20 years.
2: You know, 15
0: years ago, you started a show, right? Um, that I've been watching since day one. I knew it has sounds too. I'm gonna try not to cry. Um, but I want you to know that I've never wanted to be anybody else in that show but Vicki
2: because you are such a role model to me. Thank you. That means a lot to me. And you know, when those cameras were on, you don't really know what they're going to use and what they're not going to use. Um, But if I stayed, and believe me, this was, that was not an easy job to do. I mean, I never wanted to be on TV. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't skinny enough. I wasn't all that enough, but I kept thinking, Lord, you're giving me this for a reason. It's a platform for something. And you know, Don's like, if we stay on it, we're going to get divorced. I'm like, we're not going to get divorced. We're good. But I was juggling too much and I let my marriage fall apart and that was on me. But I, 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 I know as I was getting emails in like the first year and second year of people saying, you know, you've inspired me to get a divorce. I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> or you've inspired me to get a career or you've inspired me to be a better mother. And it was like, okay, uh, I've got a platform now. I've got a responsibility to be the best person I can be because I got eyes watching on me of people that I don't even know and now I know you
1: um
2: so so with that and then you start traveling and then people will come up and say you know I learned how to whoop it up because of you I'm like okay that that was good because we all need to whoop it up more um so so I think that um as time went by and I got more boring and more sedentary Bravo looked at me like you need to step it up and I'm like not gonna I'm 14 years older, and I'm not going to do what I did, you know, 12 years ago. Um, I'm never going to order a family van when I ordered a limo, you know, remember that episode? Um, (laughs) That's never going to change. Seriously. (laughs) But I think that as you, as I matured, my audience matured, and, you know, 15 years ago, you were five years into selling real estate, and now you're 20 years. That's a long time that we grew up together. And I'm 58 years old. I started at 42. That's a long time to have a voice on TV. Now there was many things that I filmed that they never showed. So I was like, why didn't you show that? I did a seminar and I did all this women entrepreneur stuff. They're like, it's kind of boring, kind of boring. I'm like, but that's and my that life. That's the
3: best part about the show to me. Like right. show that is now is not, I know there's no I mean, inspiration. You were the first woman I ever saw that lived like this massive life and, show yeah. me that like I could easily live this massive life in a beautiful home and have yeah. a business and-, right. and, and you can do it, you can do shit.
1: it, yes, you can do it. And no, no um, like nastiness against anyone else, but there is something different about watching a woman who's self-made yeah. as opposed to a woman who marries well. You know, my, my grandma always said, first you marry for love and then you marry for money. But I mean, some of us choose to make our own money and then we have more choices about what we want right. for our lives so to watch a woman who's completely right. self-made is a completely different right. thing right well good
3: so i want to ask like maybe a little bit more of a light-hearted question what was the best thing about being on reality tv and what was the worst thing about being on reality tv
2: that's a great question i think the best thing is Uh, meeting people like you and having have made a mark in your life somehow some way that is the best thing for me because that's paying it forward and that's meeting people throughout the zoom meetings and seminars that I do that's so cool I love that the worst thing is, is when they edit you wrong you know that whole cancer scam shit thing that they did with Brooks I was never in on a scam I was scammed by him and so the way that they twisted that I mean what did I win out of it nothing Did I open up a GoFundMe and did I, I was the one putting out money for him to get his cancer treatments and he had no insurance and I was doing everything for him and his kids. He couldn't pay child support. So I was doing that. I got scammed. So the way that they edited it, somehow the girls were wanting his medical records. He was never going to show anybody his medical records, whether it was right or wrong. I took the fall for it. Like I was covering up something. I made books for him and I said, here's your binders. Every time you get an x-ray, put it in this binder he then wins show me the binders i'm like what the hell's going on and so that editing for 2 years of letting me go down this rabbit hole i was like i got to get out of this and they're like well it's good for the ratings i'm like well my life is falling apart because you're making it out like it's something that's not so that was the worst and will always be the worst time in my life. And then he left me and I was madly in love with him. So he left me in the middle of the night cause he said, I can't do your show. And you know, you're toxic, the show is toxic. I'm like, but well, what's the truth? And I couldn't get the truth out of him because I don't. So that when I look back on that, that was really hard on me. And I, I remember just crying and crying and crying. I called in sick and I said to my staff, I won't be in for a month. And I literally laid in bed. My girlfriend from Chicago flew out. And I said, I, I, I want to die. Like the whole show has ruined my integrity. And she's like, girl, you're, you're, you got this. And I said, no, I don't. I don't. I can't fix what Bravo has done to my, my reputation. But through time and through him going on 2020 saying Vicky never was in on anything, I just wouldn't show her or those friends my medical records when mm-hmm. truthfully, he didn't have to. He wasn't a cast member. He was my boyfriend but Bravo wouldn't renew my contract unless I put him on and they knew they had a moneymaker there with him. So they used him and I still don't know the truth. So it was a tough time. Really tough.
1: I think the vulnerability that you have to have to put yourself into that space is brutal. brutal. I mean, to, to be as um, like I I listened to your podcast episode where you were on with Andy Cohen. Um, and he said, What's remarkable about you is that, and I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna be honest. I've never seen an episode of Real Housewives. Oh. So like true. I'm and okay. I didn't want to. I almost went and watched this week, but I wanted to learn about your legacy as an entrepreneur right. before I went and did that. Well, but, I'm
2: not on anymore, so you would have to go to reruns. But... I was
1: gonna go back and watch, but oh, I did yeah. listen to your podcast in preparation and yeah. And someone said like, you're you, you were you from the second that he met you at your kitchen table, you mm-hmm. created the show all the way to now. And mm-hmm. so to me, like, you know, the, the three, four of us have had this like little inner dialogue about how we would behave if we were in that situation ever in our lives. And I don't know that I could be that vulnerable. Like, I don't Fine. know that I could be a hundred percent me and give that yeah. to them it's hard
2: you know you're only as good as your producer you end up becoming really good friends with them and they're like okay you need to go front confront Tamara with this i'm like i don't want to well you have to you know and i'm like oh you know so it was always this probing into um you know them creating a reality in your own reality which is hard right do you watch it um, I did with one eye closed. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, they said that about me. Or, oh my God, look how fat my ass looks. Oh my God, that was a terrible outfit, you know? So yeah, it's, I'm very critical of myself. So it was super hard to watch it many, many times, but do well, you,
3: I've always said how brave I thought anybody who is in politics, reality, TV, anything, mm-hmm. they put yourself on a stage
2: like that. Like you have yeah. you're brave. Yeah. It was definitely, but I got to put your big girl panties down. Right. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm.
2: yeah you've lived a hell of a life Been a mean. good life oh so, okay well i've got another call coming up ladies thank you sir. great perfect awesome. time. don't forget to whoop it up ladies we will. okay <laughs> thank bye. You. have fun have a good day bye. Bye. bye
0: we hope you loved our show today if you enjoyed it do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on itunes or wherever you listen Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlco.